can as we stand and read in God's Word this morning. Beginning on uh, the end of uh, Matthew 3 and chapter uh, 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Thanks. So Jesus heads into the wilderness and the devil is right there waiting on him. What an encounter to begin this season of Lent, right? Jesus versus the devil, good versus evil, the triune God versus the three temptations of Christ. Today we begin a new worship series for this season of Lent called Encounters. There's some information on your bulletin about it and on, on the back of your bulletin, your GPS has some questions for you to help guide you throughout this week as well as some scripture reading um, as well. Every Lent we start with this same passage of scripture, okay? <laughs> with this Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And as we go through this season of Lent, what we're going to look at in Encounters is every week we're going to have a gospel reading where Jesus has an encounter with someone. We're going to look at how this person is, is changed by the encounter they have with Jesus, but also how each of us are impacted and changed by encounters we have with other people, as well as the encounters we have ourselves with God, and the way that we can encounter others by reflecting the salt and the light and the goodness of Christ Jesus that is in us, that God calls us to. We're going we're gonna to take an idea that there are no chance encounters. Last night, Heather and I went to uh, the McKinney Center and saw a play. It was our first time uh, doing that, and it was very cool. Uh, I would recommend it. It's called Lifelines, and it was a really neat story of the people of, of the area and kind of an oral heritage that had been passed on. So anyway, we're sitting there, and a couple behind us, right, random couple, right, because that's what happens. Everything's going to be so random for us. 
um, just sat behind us, and then they heard it was our first um, time coming. It was their first time coming, so they struck up a conversation with us. Um, they were a little bit older, so they're a he was a retired pastor. Of all the people to sit behind me, right? He's a retired clergy <laughs> couple. Um, not United Methodist, but Presbyterian. So we had, we had a little bit to work with. And like, yeah. she was, she said she was from Tennessee, but she was actually from Memphis, which I'm still is not so sure is actually Tennessee. <laughs> so, so anyway, and then they had lived somewhere else and had moved here. So Heather's like, Heather, Heather is like, how, how long y'all lived here? When did you move here? Um, have you found a church yet? It was just like, boom, boom, boom. I was so, it was like, I was looking, I was like, Donna? No, it's Heather, right? <laughs> So what he did when he left, we were getting ready to leave, he wanted my contact info. I mean, he pulled out his phone, he's like, do you have an iPhone? And I'm like, no, I don't, because apparently we would have been able to, like, you know? But I couldn't do that, so we had to do it old-fashioned, and he's like 80, and he's like, that's fine, you know, let me get your contact info. So it's not going to be a chance encounter when we do something like that. Maybe every encounter that we have with people, the cashier, the server, the person cutting our hair, the person sitting behind you in church. Maybe none of these are meant to be random encounters. But that in all of our encounters, we can focus on the goodness of God and, and being able to share some love with someone who maybe really, really needs to know it. Okay? That's where we're going to head as we go through the season of Lent. And we begin today with an encounter that is unlike any of the other encounters that we're going to look at over the next six weeks. Amen. Because, well, Matthew says this encounter that Jesus has is not just with another person, right? This encounter, according to Matthew, is with, well, the devil. Before we get into the text, I want to say something about temptation, because that's really what we're going to, we're going to talk about today. How temptation interacts with us, how we are affected by temptation and, and you know how, how we go through this in, in our life. And I want to say that temptation is at its most dangerous when temptation doesn't look like temptation. Okay? That temptation is most dangerous to us when temptation looks good. Or, or maybe even worse yet, when we look at something and we believe we deserve to have it. Or that we are entitled to get it. Those can be the times when temptation is most dangerous. And we got to understand and know what temptation looks like in our own lives because it's different. Right? For some people, this morning, uh, a Jack and Coke could be temptation. For others of you, it wouldn't be that big a deal. For some of you this morning, a, a Twinkie could be temptation. For other people, it wouldn't be that big a deal. So knowing what our own temptation is in our own life is important. And knowing what temptation sounds like. Temptation rarely comes to us sounding like this. <laughs> I was going to do the whole thing. I thought I had that worked out last time. Anyway, 
My, those are good temptations, okay? <laughs> Most of the time, temptation does not come to us that particular way in our lives. <laughs> so when they do come, sometimes they just won't stop. You know what I'm saying? Pride, 
The Bible says that he was cast out of heaven with about a third of the angels who followed him. And then his domain became, well, here among the rest of God's creation. And so what I want to point out before we get into what was said in the temptations is that Satan, Lucifer, is not all-powerful, right? The devil is not all-knowing. The devil cannot be present everywhere at the same time. Only God can do all of those things. He is limited by how he was created. Now, is he powerful? Absolutely. When you read the Bible, angels seem to be fairly powerful beings, okay? But I want to point out it's not on, on like, the scales equal with God. Sometimes I feel like we have some image in our head of, like, this, this comic book battle of good versus evil is going on, and it's the, it's the devil versus God, and one gets a punch in and then ducks, and that's not the way this is designed. It's not the way any of this works out. The devil is not anywhere near as powerful as God because Lucifer was created by God. Created with a free will, the same that we were. Created to be able to choose what he wants and, and where he puts God in, in the order of things in his existence, but he's not equal with God. Now, if you're in the wilderness and you're facing the temptation of the devil by yourself, well, then I would say you've got a problem, okay? Because in that aspect, he is pretty powerful. And what we're going to look at today is not some, like, three, three easy steps to avoid the devil's temptation type of sermon or something like that. Because that's really not what this is about. But it is recognizing that our enemy, the adversary, the tempter, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, relies on temptations and on half-truths to try to get done what he wants done. And every single one of us is tempted in different ways. Because every single one of us is different. Now that does not mean that anything, everything bad that happens to us in our life is automatically a demonic temptation. It doesn't mean that if after church today you go to the mall and you can't find a parking place and you are parked a mile away and you're muttering under your breath, this is the devil tempting me to say that bad word. I gave up that word for Lent, and he's tempting me because I had to park a mile away. <laughs> maybe, maybe God wanted you to park a mile away to walk off that Big Mac. That you just <laughs> Our temptations are often in suggestions. They're in thoughts. And they're in desires. Knowing what temptation sounds like and knowing what the voice of God sounds like, being able to take the time to be still and listen to the voice of God so we know what the voice of God sounds like, knowing the difference in who is talking to us is the game changer. That's the key to life, all right? So let's get into this today, Matthew 4. Jesus heard, if you are the Son of God, or, or some translations may say, since you are the Son of God, then do these things, right? I mean, if you're the Son of God, or since you're the Son of God, what are you going to do with it? And that's really where this whole conversation ends up. And Matthew records three temptations. But I think it was more of an onslaught of temptation, right? 
This is a long period of time that Jesus is alone being tempted by the devil. But I think the reason why we have three listed is because all of us can identify with where Jesus was in these three. And by extension, Jesus can identify with us where we are in our own personal temptations as well. The first one we're going to call feed the flesh. And that's in, in verse 3. The devil says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now the wilderness or the desert that Jesus was in isn't like us thinking of the wilderness. When I think of a wilderness, I think of like a forest, right? You go in, there's trees everywhere, you can't see a lot. For Jesus, this idea of wilderness is more like a desert where it looks different. And you can see for miles, but it's just sand and rock and mountains. And Jesus is there, and the first temptation is, you're hungry, take some of those stones that are laying right there and make a bread. It seems so simple. It seems like it couldn't be that bad of a thing. I mean, what would be the harm in Jesus taking the stones and making them bread and eating the bread? He's, Jesus is going to make bread for thousands of people multiple times in his ministry in the coming years anyway. So what would be the problem with Jesus making a little bread right now, right? Everybody needs some carbs. You know what I'm saying? So it would have been okay. Well, the problem is there's a reason why Jesus is hungry, right? What was Jesus doing that made him hungry? He was fasting. That's the reason why he's hungry. I, Heather and I had talked about during Lent, we are going to eat between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. to try to, try to you know, do away with some of the late night snacking and, and all of this. And, um, that's, that's been very hard. I found out how hard that really is to do that. It's like as soon as you decide you're going to do it, it's like temptation happens. Yeah. Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> There's a reason why that you sell them during Lent, is all I'm saying. So, so let's just eat Heather said. Here's the thing. Jesus is fasting because it's part of the preparation. He's getting ready to go do some stuff, and he's fasting to prepare himself for what it is that he's getting ready to go do. The temptation here is really about if you can have it, you should have it, right? And I think that temptation can affect each and every one of us as well. And so Jesus answers temptation with a passage of Scripture, right? So when you're tempted, we could say just quote Scripture. Deuteronomy, at least, because that's what Jesus does. But I don't think it's always that easy. You can't just say if you're tempted, always quote Scripture, because when you look at the second temptation that's in verse 6, we're going to call this one, feed your ego. Um, then the devil says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Don't let anything bad happen to you. Save yourself here. If you are the Messiah, if you can do it, you should do it. It's not that big a deal. But on a deeper level, this temptation might be more about if you are the Son of God, protect yourself. Don't let anything hurt you. That's what this temptation is saying. Throw yourself down. Allow people to see that you can call angels at your command. Show your power. Show how strong you are right now. This would have been completely against what Jesus would be doing in three years, right? 
when he hung on the cross and he could have called angels to come and save him, to protect him, but thankfully he didn't do it then and he didn't do it here. Now what's most interesting about this temptation is not just that the devil said, show your power. The devil also says, for it is written. This is the most interesting one to me, man, because it's like Jesus is tempted, Jesus comes back with Scripture, so then what does the devil do? He comes right back at you with Scripture. The difference is how you take Scripture out of context, which is what the devil did here, right? He's quoting from Psalm 91. When you read all of that psalm together, you get a completely different idea than just what those verses the devil said. So then Jesus, of course, comes back with some more scripture from Deuteronomy. And then we go into the third temptation, which is the devil saying, taking Jesus to a very high mountain and showing him all the kingdoms. It's almost ludicrous when I read it though, right? The devil's like, dude, check out all these kingdoms and cities. Bow down to me, and I will give them to you. There's something there that the devil at least feels like he has some domain. He has something that he feels like he's going to offer. But at the heart of it, I think it's about compromise. It's about just making a little deal with the devil. I know, we're, we're in church, we're not going to sit here and think we would ever do that. In fact, we would say Daniel Webster may have made the deal with the devil, if you've ever read that story or seen the play, but I would never do that. But I wonder, when we compromise the words of Jesus, if we aren't doing just that. When we compromise what it means to love our neighbor, if we aren't doing that. When we compromise what it means to love our enemies, if we're not doing that. When we compromise, when we give ourselves advantage and power over other individuals or over groups of people if we aren't doing that. When we compromise what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If we aren't then just making a little deal. And Jesus responds with more Deuteronomy. And then the devil leaves him. And angels come and they minister or strengthen Jesus. Lent is our time to be led into the wilderness for 40 days. That's why verse 1 is my favorite part of this whole story. Jesus was led, or some translations say driven, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. We prayed this morning, lead me not into temptation. We've been saying words that said, lead me on, Lord, from temptation purify me from within. And maybe that's what happens in the wilderness, a purifying that God offers us. Maybe the wilderness is not a place of punishment. Maybe the wilderness is a place of preparation. Maybe the wilderness is a place that we can learn to rely on God and to stand firm against the devil and against temptations in our own life through the power of God with us. We hear the, the words of, of God spoken at Jesus' baptism when we, Mark started reading today. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus was driven into the wilderness. I've been asked by people why Jesus was baptized anyway, right? He didn't have any sin to repent of. 
And one answer that I hear to that at times is that Jesus was just showing us what we needed to do. It's like an example. Jesus was baptized to show us we need to be baptized. Kind of like if it was good enough for Jesus to do, it's good enough for me to do. But when we read this whole story, I wonder if there's something else more to it than that. I wonder if maybe the reason why Jesus was baptized is because he needed the voice of affirmation of the Father before he headed into the wilderness of temptation. So when the devil says, if you are the Son of God, in Matthew 4, the voice of God had already told Jesus in Matthew 3, you are my beloved Son. That's who you are. When you go through life, you're going to hear plenty of stuff saying, if you really are this, what you've got to know is your identity. You've got to know who you really are. When you hear the voice that says, if you're really clean and sober, when you hear the voice that says, if you're really smart enough, when you hear the voice that says, if you're really loved, when you hear, if you're really saved, when you hear, if you're really forgiven, especially for that one thing that you did that you absolutely cannot forget or accept forgiveness for, when you hear, if you really are a son of God, if you really are a daughter of God, when you hear that if you are really, then you can respond with the same words that Jesus heard at his baptism, words that were spoken over you of God saying, you are my beloved, I love you, and with you I am well pleased. Are you with me? In closing, a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this. No, I'm not going to pull it. I'm going to lay them up here. Just so y'all are ready the day that it does happen. It's not happening today. They're right there. No temptation, Paul says has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, let me just stop. That, what that means is that when you are faced with a temptation in your life, you can't think the devil has been saving that temptation since the beginning of time. And March 1st, 2020, he dropped it on me, right? I'm the only one to ever experience this. But what Paul is saying is that's not true, okay? Nobody else has experienced it the way you are experiencing it, right? Which means we should never, ever tell somebody, I know exactly how you feel. Because you don't. But what Paul is reminding us is that there's no new temptations. The devil is reusing his small little box of tricks. That no temptation has overcome you that is not common to man and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, or lead me not into temptation, but when you are tempted, you with me? Yes. All right. When you are led into it, when you are driven into it, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. I want to stop here and just remind us, God never said, the Bible never says that God will not put on us more than what we can bear. And I hear people in, in, in love misquoting that. 
You know, you're going through a tough time in your life, and you're like, well, the Bible says God will not put on us more than what we can bear. That's not true. The whole point of our existence is getting to a, a realizing aspect in our life that I can't do this on my own. I can't bear it by myself. I am broken. I need somebody to put me back together. I am lost. I need somebody to find me. I am blind. I need somebody to help me see. The whole point of our life is that you can't do it on your own. And when we get to that realization point and we trust God in it, He's the one that's going Amen. to restore us, to reconcile us in the right relationship, to redeem, forgive us, to set us on our feet on a solid rock and to get us on the right path. What the Bible does say is that you're not going to be tempted beyond what you can bear because God will provide a way of escape for you. God will provide a way out. It's kind of like fighting a bear. Alright, so imagine, imagine that I'm like camping in the woods. And I've been fishing. I've been hunting. I know. Just work with me. Work with me, right? And imagine, imagine Emily's with me in the woods, and she went camping with me, right? And we're just, and it's not glamping. I mean, we are like little tent and sleeping on the ground and eating stuff that I catch and kill and skin and cook for us, right? That's how we live. And then there's a bear that comes along. And imagine for a second that that bear came after him. I am, I'm going to admit it, I am not much of an outdoors person. Full disclosure. But if a bear comes after my daughter, I'm going to go try to kill her. Now I want you to imagine I go camping by myself. And I'm still doing all my camping kind of stuff that I've been doing with Emily, right? It's just I'm by myself. And then I hear a sound and I look and over there is a bear. In that situation, I'm not going to go attack the bear. I'm not going to go pick a fight with the bear, as bad as I am in all my camping, like gear and stuff. I'm not going to do it. There's a difference between temptation and sin. The Bible tells us to stand firm, to fight temptation. There, there's a passage in Ephesians that talks about how we're supposed to do that. You can't just, or, or sin, I'm sorry, you can't just fight sin on your own. You've got to be kind of right in the right armor, right? Which is what this Ephesians talks about. Your helmet and your, your sword and your shield and right, all this kind of stuff. Amen. Temptation, however, we are told to flee temptation. It's important to remember what we need to stand and fight and what we need to remove ourselves from. If the Twinkie is your temptation, do not put the box of Twinkies in your hand. If the Jack and Coke is your temptation, don't go sit at the bar. Where we put ourselves is important here as well. Because this passage, Paul said that God will provide a way of escape for us. Right? But the way of escape involves some type of movement. Do you remember last week on the Mount of Transfiguration? When Peter, James, and, and John, they saw the glory of Jesus and they fell down. You remember that? You remember the very first thing when Jesus comes and touches them? You, what was the very first thing that Jesus said to somebody who's laying down on the ground? Get up. Get up. 
Get up is the first step in all of this for us, right? And how are we getting up? We are getting up because God himself has told us to get up. There is a time to lay down and bow down. And by the power of God in us, there is a time in his strength to stand up. There is plenty of things we need to stand up to in our lives, in our families, in our work, in our school, in our church, and in our world. We need to stand up and proclaim that God is good. We need to stand up and proclaim that there is forgiveness of sin available to you in the name of Jesus. We need to be the ones who can stand up and say, I love you. I accept you. I see you. And God does too. Today, I would ask, what is God preparing you for during this season of Lent and these 40 days that God has brought us into and that God will continue to bring us Today we prepare to come to the table, a table that has been prepared for us, a table that God's love and grace has prepared, a table that as we begin this season of Lent, we are reminded that we are not alone. That most of all, it is God with us. And it is in that confidence that God is with us in the wilderness that I can say, the Lord be with you. Hallelujah. Lift up your hearts. Lift up the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. You brought all things into being and you called them good. From the dust of the earth you have formed us into your image and breathed into us the breath of life. And when we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, you bore up the ark on the waters for Noah and his family and made covenant with every living creature on earth. When you led your people to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, you gave us your commandments and made with us your covenant people. When your people forsook your covenants, your prophet Elijah fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and on your holy mountain he heard your still, small voice. And so with your people here on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ. When you gave him to save us from our sin, your spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights to prepare for his ministry. When he suffered and died on a cross for our sin, you raised him to life, presented him alive to the apostles during 40 days, and exalted him at your right hand. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. And now, when we, your people, prepare for the yearly feast of Easter, 
you lead us into repentance for sin and the cleansing of our hearts, so that during these 40 days of Lent, we may be gifted and graced to reaffirm covenant that you have made with us through Jesus Christ our Lord. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, blessed it, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when the supper was over, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, This is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so today, in remembrance of these mighty acts of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ is died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. By Your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. Through Your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in Your holy church, all honor and glory is Yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. Today we will share in one loaf, the broken loaf that we share in is a reminder that we are each broken, and then our brokenness we can come to our Lord God who can restore and make us whole. The cup that we share in is a reminder of the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of sin, all sin, that as God Himself in Jesus hung on the cross and died for us. He did that because of His great love. So that simply by asking for God's forgiveness, we receive this wonderful and amazing <laughs> gift of grace.
you to stand. We're going to sing the first verse of Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. Amen and be blessed. 